Are you a patient suffering with a disease or condition? Do you feel lost within our healthcare system? Are there times when you feel like you don't have a voice with your doctor or pharmacist? Welcome to a podcast dedicated to the patient, hosted by a patient suffering with chronic pain, who's a vibrant entrepreneur, Christy Sobel. The Patients Podcast focuses on interviewing doctors, pharmacists, healthcare providers, and other patients to build a network of change, to create an environment of sincere empathy, to elevate the patient's voice, and demand advocacy for those suffering. Welcome to the Patients Podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Patient Podcast part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Christy Sobel. Today, we have a Air Force pararescueman that has served for 22 years. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Christy. I am curious about so many things that... The military does, and first off and foremost, thank you for serving. But what does what do pararescuers do? Uh, in a nutshell, we um, our obligation is to provide the services you could expect from a fire truck only on the battlefield. So, uh, an airplane crashes, we have the extrication tools to go get the people out of the plane. We can think more small fires. We do mass casualty, um, trauma medicine, uh, technical rescue if someone falls down a well or gets washed down a river, uh, lost at sea, um, anywhere in the globe. Uh, we Our promise is to, to come and get you. And uh, we spend most of our time uh, training in the various elements of the globe to and wait on alert for a problem to come up. That is absolutely incredible. Everything that you need to know is, is it's taking 22 years to be, I mean, you are decorated. So you have really and truly has, have served our country. Um, Beyond beyond words, tell me how is this a pararescue man? What has this done physically to you? Oh, it's um, I love about this job. Our call it disproportional response to people in trouble. Uh, if uh, if. Um, a soldier, any service member is in danger overseas. They've ejected from the aircraft, they're shot, they can't get out by other means. Then America comes guns blazing with the rescue forces and a stack of jets overhead and the satellites, and we come and get that one person or those 50 people. And the, the same goes for uh, folks lost at sea, the perfect storm narrative. Um, I just, I just love that we come with max effort to anyone, and it is, does just uh, a good feeling 
understand why people stay in that job for 20, 30 years. You know, I know that everything that you must carry on you, am I correct of saying 30 pounds on your back? That you, in, a, in your backpack? I would get dressed and weigh 30 pounds with stuff jammed in my pockets. And then I think you have, uh, you know, 30, 40 pounds of body armor, etc. if it's a tactical problem. Then you have a 50 to 70 pound pack. You're really too heavy to do much, uh, but you have to bring it all the most problems because you never get an accurate report of what the issue is when you're walking out the door. So tell me, doing this for 22 years, carrying all of that weight around, being subjected to all the elements, everything imaginable, what kind of wear and tear has it done to your body? Have you, Mike, been a casualty in any of this? Not in the uh, traditional sense. I think um, on the battlefield, I was kind of a sunshine magnet. Uh, if I went on alert for five months waiting for stuff to crash, nothing crashed. Um, if we went out on the ground and were with an assault force and moved to contact, nothing bad happened to anybody. Uh, you know, other guys are on the other side of the coin, and it seems everything happens them um, I was just fortunate so as a parent and everything that you carry on your back and all the things that you do over the years what has what has come of your body what are you dealing with uh, well um, I'm also orthopedic and neurological stuff from my ankles to my cervical spine. I sleep in the fetal position so my arms and legs don't go numb. I've had ankle surgery from uh, a jump. Um, they tell me I have mild brain damage. I don't feel uh, quite the attacker I, I used to be. I get overwhelmed pretty easily with uh, new information. Um, I have uh, urinary issues from holding my pee on an airplane every night for eight hours. And, um, oh, and then uh, I have some baggage from what I call my humbling mission experience in, in 2004 uh, with post-traumatic stress. Can you talk about that a little bit or you rather not? Oh, I, I can. I like to talk about it. Um, so it took me 10 years to realize that uh, I had post-traumatic stress disorder. I thought all that anxiety and the looking over your shoulder and reacting quickly and just being wound up, I thought that was the product of excellent training and wartime experience and the companion of Salty Warriors. Because uh, it, it, the five of us were, were uh, dispatch to set conditions for a larger force to come in and help Americans evacuate um, the embassy in Haiti. There was a, a coup going on and, and we were moving, or we were to enable people to be moved out of harm. 
the tactical situation when we got on the ground escalated and, and we did um, the assigned mission just the bus, uh, without the assault team until the, the very end. Um, hit, hit in the streets in Haiti during the coup, riots in the streets everywhere, uh, people were killing each other openly in broad daylight in the street. We weren't allowed to, to engage, of course, because we aren't, our job was to, um, we weren't allowed to engage. It, it, it wasn't our mission. The, uh, when you saw any particular bit of violence going down, it was hard to discern the good and sides nor was it our place to make that judgment. Uh, I, we did see some people, I, I guess the, the most troubling experience and the one that, that I see in my mind all the time, every day, we pulled up at a, at a, a choke point or like a prepared ambush that, that they were, that the local citizens were, were doing to each other to extort money as, one, as cars would pass through the intersection and we were on one of those intersections and uh, a car, two cars in front of us uh, didn't pay the, the toll and the, the, the people in there uh, got shot and drug out of the vehicle and, and the ambushers jumped in the car and, and drove off. And I watched all that happen under the red dot of my optic waiting to uh, waiting for us to have an opinion but, if, but, but we didn't you know, inter intercede. And, and being a 20-something-year-old uh, commando with this wonderful training and, and uh, equipment, trauma medicine experience, tactical experience, to watch that happen and do nothing uh, was difficult. So, so now my, my, my hang-ups with PTSD, my personal manifestation is, is just, uh, I get elbow deep in everything I see to, um, to an extreme fault. And I have, I have trouble leaving anything alone. I think it's incredible how, <laughs> I think it's funny about life. Um, when people cross paths, you wonder sometimes why did it, why did we cross you know into the same you know cross and meet each other and I think the one thing that most people don't know is that when my life shattered and and it ended as I knew it I tried picking up the pieces of my former life and keep going but they didn't fit. So I turn to you, the vets, because you were facing the same exact thing. And through that, you all helped me make my way back into life and make new pieces. And so everything that you have been through it never prepared you for all of the winter mentally or physically. Am I correct? Oh, yes. And um, it's not 
something you can really talk about on the team, or at least we don't, because uh, I, the and I I wouldn't do anything differently, and I wouldn't change it for the world. But there's just a soul-crushing sense of obligation to your teammates to do as much for him as he's doing for you. And when you're hurting inside or outside, it is you are just obligated to gut it out and keep going for them. And um, so we just keep motoring along without raising our hand and, and getting help. How many tours did you do? It's hard to say because some of them were five months long and some of them were three days long, but um, the number of times I went out the door to 12-ish. Okay. Over over those 22 years. So when you tried to, because obviously... You were functioning on adrenaline, I guess you could say, it, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's fun. You know, your life is a uh, Red Bull slash recruiting commercial um, with all these toys and the company of good people. It, there's an inertia. Now, tell me this, though. Um, when you when you had a face that there were issues with your health were you diagnosed properly did you receive the care that you needed no um I think in 2004 we weren't really looking out for PTSD that wasn't spoken of I think the the longer the war went on the more we came to understand the new batch of symptoms and how it's defined versus the old school Vietnam vet cliches where they're up at night checking the doors and windows and and controlling the perimeter and and having flashbacks. The folks I know, it's it's more subtle for them and more um, hard hard to discern. Because I think we're all getting it at the same time. We don't, we don't notice the change. But uh, it was 10 years. And it, when I look back, I, I can tick off all the symptoms yeah. weeks, months after. The humbling mission experience, the grinding my teeth and sleeping poorly and not making new friends or difficult relationships and then cascading into bad impulse control and financial instability and and uh, uh, domestic friction. It's, uh, it's easy to recognize in hindsight, but at the time, everyone is slowly boiling together and it, it, it's really hard to discern. When were you diagnosed? How long did it take to before you were diagnosed? I had my good old-fashioned meltdown in 2014, and I was just sitting in a seminar uh, on on the military budgeting process, and some guy was clicking his pen behind me, and uh, I wanted to to stand up and, and grab him and, and 
they gouge his eyeballs out with his pen. I found it's really a disproportional uh, reaction to the pen clicking. I might have something going on. And then just that kind of cracking the door open let me recognize everything that I was doing. And I, I still felt, it still felt like I was sandbagging. Like I, I was, to, to raise my hand and say I'm having trouble with letting the team down. Even though at that point in my career I was a headquarters guy bleeding to death on me if I if I you know couldn't get up out of bed in the morning. Um, but I, I still felt ashamed that that I was pausing to look after myself. So when when you noticed this happening and you can look back on it. What did the doctors do for you to help in this? Um, right off, uh, the Zoloft. So they start me on, on Zoloft right away. And uh, I was on that for about two weeks before they, I had an appointment. And I gave it's going to take a while to... to uh, to be at a therapeutic level, we're just gonna wait and he can come in and talk to us once you're saturated in, in this. And um, the pharmacy solutions kind of escalated from there. I had the, the Zoloft, the Zoloft has sexual side effects, so eventually after trying several medications, uh, we came back to, to Zoloft uh, and then Viagra, so I could occasionally push through the, the, the numbness that the, the Zoloft was giving me. I got on uh, Lunesta for sleep. I, I sat around all day think, visiting the, the, the situations, tactical and administrative or domestic, that I could have done better all day, just sitting around ruminating about my failures. And so they put me on um, Adderall, which helped me get a bunch of work done, but not necessarily in like a coherent order. <laughs> um, so besides medicine, what else did they do for you to help in that process of, of coping and dealing? Um, I will, I will caveat this with, uh, I liked my providers seemed like nice people, but they were understaffed and overwhelmed with the, the people they had to see. Uh, and I was on an, uh, administrative base, maybe the only or one of the only ground war fighters of the Air Force who was there doing my headquarters job. So I really felt like when I sat down with my my psychiatrist, my psychologist, they, they didn't understand where I was coming from. They, they had read about Air Rescue Air Force Special Operations. But uh, one of the early meetings with my psychologist, um, I was talking about how I have to be perfect and I have this crushing sense of obligation and and, uh, you know, I just want to do everything well. She said, well, I think 
step one is for you to unlearn all these special operations ethics that are causing your impairment. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you just say unlearn? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. I was so appalled. I was like, uh, okay, well, you aren't going to help me. And then I tuned out the next six worth of her efforts to help me because I had already decided she was horrible. Um, Were you, did you find somebody else that kind of... I, okay. I did. And you know what? The... Um, She's a young woman. I, I don't know how long she's been in the Air Force now, school, and, and uh, she's an awesome person. I, and I'm sure she regrets saying that. And I did beat her up about it later. Like, you know, that you lost me there. But uh, I, I think in the end, uh, when it comes to PTSD therapy, it is all about a personality match. And uh, I threw a, a chain of, of friends I met. Uh, Craig Bryan from the um, University of Utah National Center for Veteran Studies. He's a prior Air Force guy himself. Had spent a lot of time uh, going downrange and doing prophylactic, um, so to speak, post-traumatic stress therapy slash decompression for um, guys on their way back. So they're, they're redeploying. It's the end of their time, you would spend two weeks with them work through a very compressed version of the, the cognitive um, thought processing that's the acronym but um, uh, he, he found that he could apply that in uh, for acute patients and he really helped me uh, like I, I don't think you, you go somewhere for two weeks and get cured but he helped me set aside the major impairment on a day-to-day, just a fear. The fear, like, crossing the street with my wife and daughter was a tactical movement. Uh, it, we had to wait till there were absolutely no cars visible on the street. Um, I was I was horrible as a passenger or driver in the cars because my humbling mission was car-related. We were lost the whole time. I hated being lost. I got violent and mean, um when I felt disoriented, like I just wanted the tactical situation to improve. But uh, in, I, in the first 10 minutes with Dr. Brian, I was further than eight to 10 months with my Air Force provider. And I had sat down with him and I described all my hiccups. Like everything must be perfect. I have this legacy of, of greatness that, that I carry because of the veterans before me and and you know, it won't be me who who sullies that that um, legacy. And he goes, "So fear of failure." Like, ah, I know, I don't know if it's that. It's just that everything's got to be awesome. So fear of failure. Okay, all right, you got me. And then the next two weeks were kind of you know one revelation out of another. Why I intensify everything because um, in hindsight, oh, it was just um, just a, a weight lifted. So you, you found someone that could help you deal with things mentally. Um, how about physically? What kind of issues were you, su- you, know, were you suffering with? Well, I had, you know, the, the PTSD, I think, 
usually comes with depression. I wasn't working out like a um, an elite uh, warfighter should. I was gaining weight. Uh, horribly inflexible, prone to injury, lots of lower back, uh, neck issues, force. Um, a lot of that's still there. How were you treated for that? Oh, and that's just Motrin, Motrin, Motrin. So the trauma that your body has endured, you deal with it through Motrin? <laughs> I just, uh, I just live with, you know, pain that's a four, a five out of ten, day to day. Um, that it builds character. And, uh, you know, muscle tension, I, I feel like I have, um, like a, like an each feet. My feet are so tense all the time, my feet are curled up in little balls. But um, we'll get there, you know. It, it took 10 years to get here. I'll, I'll slog my way out of it. So, after those two weeks, were you then, did you find another therapist, or were you on your own to work the rest of it out? Last night, I paused. I used the non-Air Force solution. Um, came back to the Air Force, sat down with my psychiatrist, and um, he said, hey, you know, I think just more, you know, paraphrasing, more action for you would be counterproductive, so let's go ahead and start your your uh, medical evaluation for retirement. Um, and that was their solution. So you didn't um, have any more help dealing and coping mentally or physically. Am I correct? Yeah. So I, I ha- having been um, out and, and and talking with Doc Brian and um, some other friends, kind of brought themselves into my care, uh, other, other pararescue with, with PTSD. I just found that talking to them was better than going back through more, um, therapy. Just to hear another warfighter whom you respect that you've followed in their career say yeah I do that same thing and I know you do it and I still respect you um, you know we'll figure this out like that feels better than than uh, the meds than the therapeutics to me um, I know I have more work to do I I still you know my level of intensity is a burden on my family but um I think we got a glimpse of what right looks like when we went out to Utah. My family was with us, and we were we were briefly for the cheeks, relaxed and at ease with each other, and and um, 
that is the point that we endeavor to, to navigate back to from here. Wow. I am speechless, and that's extremely hard to make me speechless. Um, you are a remarkable, remarkable human being. You have such a um, kind heart, and you are a fighter in every sense of the word. You, you, you don't stop. You don't say poor me. You jump in and um, you fight to be better for yourself and for your family and serving as you did. Um, and what all you have to deal with is truly, truly um, mind-boggling. It really and really is. Um, I think the saddest part about this is that you are coping with so much um, without the help of, of others. And it's wonderful that your family and you were able to, they could understand. By going there, they understood more about what's going on with you. But through the years of this, um, it's remarkable. You've made such a massive impact um, to so many. I, I, um, I know you are, you started the foundation, Pararescue, and can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I think I'm just exercising um, this tendency that I've, I've seen in pararescuement is when, when you are stressed, when you're hurting, when you're, um, when you feel like you're in trouble, you, you just start pushing resources to other people. And that is something that just makes me feel better. So I, I saw the institutional response to the PTSD, the other chronic orthopedic and, and neurological injuries. Um, once I became um, a little vocal about problems I was having, on my way out of the Air Force, a lot of my peers approached me, and it, and it just occurred to me that that, that there was a, a gap in in resources. And um, now there are a ton of government and and nonprofit services out there, but scope limits there accuracy and effectiveness and their burden to cover so many different things. And, um, a small nonprofit in support of a small community where we know each other, we aren't burning resources with advertising or hunting who needs what. Um, the Pararescue Foundation, we can go straight to our friends 
and peers and say, I know you need help with PTSD or traumatic brain injury or the transition into civilian life. And it keeps everyone connected with, with this small personal community. And I'm just excited to, to expand it. We're, we're scratching the surface of, of the need, but the, um, I was afraid I would, I would try to provide PTSD therapy and no one would come, but, but really we're, we feel the demand. Now, the one thing that I've learned about this is the, there are different branches of you and I didn't know that until I met several of you, and you helped me see the different divisions, and can you expand on that? Yeah, so you have uh, parachutists in every service. Um, you know, and you have different flavors of, of special operations. And I can name them all for someone's feelings, but... Um, every service has special operations. What is the need? is unique um, within the Department of Defense because it is a um, we are specifically trained and equipped just to do rescue in any condition like the uh, Army, Navy, Marines special operations are capable of rescue we specialize in technical rescue. They specialize in move to contact, locate close with and engage the enemy. Um, we don't make that tape. We make it stickier. We're an enabler. We provide rescue and trauma medicine to other special operations and then also provide that global combat search and rescue ground to air capability. Now, doesn't your foundation also help when a pararescueman is either injured or killed? It helps the family? Oh, absolutely. Tragedy assistance is, is uh, fundamental to what we do. It's a, we're a young organization. Less than a year, we've already... Um, provided service one depth but um, the the support you give it is for all of those that are suffering and worrying about how to pay the bills and all of that this is set up to help them get through the really really tough times am I correct on that yes and I, I think you that is uh Tragedy assistance is redundant in the in the in the scheme of veteran services, but I don't think we can do enough. I um, I have stood myself uh, on the airfield in Delaware when the, the plane comes home and the back door opens and it's full of of caskets with flags on it, and I've watched a family meltdown 
they went down like dominoes and I I would go back to Haiti naked today and do that all over again before I let that happen um, the, uh, there is no it, unless it's happened to you there's no way I can articulate the, the feeling of of, of of watching it impact a family and Where would people go to to read more about this or if they wanted to donate to the foundation? Do you have a I have web address is parentsfoundation.org and um, all the information they need to donate or uh, participate in other ways is there on the website. Beautiful. The the only thing that I'm really trying to understand um, with the the disconnect, it seems that there is um, in this process from PTSD and physical things that you are going through. You've been treated um, with medication and with some therapy. But mostly, you and your family are working through this. So the help and connect with, with PTSD and what that all means really hasn't come together, has it? No, and I think institutionally the Air Force is kind of trailing the the crowd of addressing the problem and making solutions um, tenable for their warfighters. Uh, if, uh, if someone in Air Force Special Operations raises their hand and says, I, you know, I have PTSD, I want to talk to somebody, out comes the Zoloft. Um, that person loses their ability to fly on aircraft, to do parachute duty, to do dive duty for 12 months, which is driven by, I believe, FAA policy. The Air Force is measuring parachutists with the same yardstick, treating them with the same medical standards as uh, rated crew members, pilots, co-pilots, etc. So during that time that you are on the medicine, do you get, is that paid leave or are you inactive? They are, uh, for an active member, they're, they're paid, but they're not doing anything. They're not part of the team. I, I talk to folks and they say the most damaging part of the experience is watching their team get dressed up to go out the door and go do the mission while they watch and, you know, make sure the radios are charged or something like that. It's, um, uh, the, you know, PTSD always, already makes you feel defective, makes you feel isolated, um, inadequate. And then the, the canned response is to take that person away from the best possible support structure he has, his team, and set him a 
to the broken toy pile, uh, you know, to sort this out. If we could do today and say, this is what I would have liked so that doctors and, and even others that have never served that are dealing with major crisis, what would you like to see different? Uh, I thought it's so trite to say, don't seek instant gratification, you have to fight your way out of this, um, you know, and it make it took you to get into it. Um, you know, my listeners, I, um, it's a tough, tough road that, as you can hear, of men and women put their lives on the line, that we all struggle in life. And the big thing that I hope most listeners take away from this is that you're not alone that so many suffer just like you and that you can't be quiet but you have to get help so that you do not take out of, of this life but also how extremely extraordinary our special forces are when they sacrifice to keep us safe day in and day out they deserve the respect they deserve your time and your attention when they bring something that could make a big difference we need to listen with you sharing your story today Mike you are inspiring you have the ability to do whatever it takes to get through and by sharing that today it's not taken lightly whatsoever I know that it was difficult to go into with us but from the bottom of my heart thank you for serving and thank you for doing the patient podcast with me today thank you Christy I'm humbled that Please, one more time, would you um, give the website where people can go to get more information? Oh, yes, the Pararescue Foundation. You can find us on the web at pararescuefoundation.org. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for listening to The Patient's Podcast, where the voice of the patient is the most important voice in healthcare. If you'd like to be featured on The Patient's Podcast, Please send us your information and story to patientspodcast at gmail.com.